Hey everybody, it's Sunday, January 26, 2014, and today we're going to talk about a cat furniture business called Hepper, founded by Jed Crystal, where he's been building the products and brands for six to seven years, and we'll talk about his experience with the whole thing. Just to set up the backstory before we get into today's episode, sometimes you never know how things will pan out, whether that's doing small things like starting a business, a website, helping someone cross the street, you know, kind of the serendipity of this thing called life, it's kind of really funny the way it comes back, and so... If you remember episode four of this podcast when I first started almost two years ago, I had Dan Andrews on the show over from Tropical MBA, and he has a business called Modern Cat Designs along with Ian. And so technically them and Jed are kind of competitors. And uh, it's funny, in October last year when we met up with Dan, he was saying how he used to stalk Jed. You know, he'd do the who is check on the domains, kind of see what he's doing in terms of marketing, what products he's having. And it's funny because the other couple of months ago, I got an email uh, from Dan saying, hey, you know, thanks uh, for your podcast. I got one of our biggest competitors, you know, is our good friend now. Apparently, he's into this whole lifestyle business thing, too. And so all of us were in Bangkok last October. We all got to say hello, and uh, it was pretty fun. So uh, today, we're going to talk about Jed's side of the story and hear how he built the business uh, for the past six or seven years. So hope you guys enjoy this. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lynn. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. So listeners, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Jed Crystal, founder and creative director at Hepper, where they sell very stylish cat furniture. So Jed, what's up? Hey, Terry. Thanks for having me on. All right. So uh, who are you and what do you do? Uh, like you said, my name is Jed Crystal. I've got a company called Hepper, and Hepper makes ergonomically designed modern furniture for cats. And we do that so that your cats are happy and your home looks great. And so I understand Hepper comes from the name Audrey Hepburn, right? I was looking at your about page. So what's the story behind that? That's right. Yeah. The most recent cat in the house was uh, named after Audrey Hepburn and Hepper was a good shortened version of that. So she was just kind of named that after Audrey Hepburn because she had this little bit of style and grace about her and, and uh, a little bit of a an attitude, I guess, a kind of a whimsical attitude. And so how did you get into cat furniture in the first place? It was really out of my own personal need. Uh, I had a bunch of cats. Um, I've always been a furniture guy. I had a small collection of modern design furniture that I was kind of growing. And I was looking around for some stuff for the cats that wouldn't be really ugly and couldn't find anything at all. And being a product design guy, I was like, well, I can make this happen. So uh, it was, uh, I did. So I made a bunch of prototypes and it was really just uh, out of my own personal need. And then I started realizing, oh, maybe this is a great business potential as well. One of my favorite professors once said, a great designer is a great planner. So like I might not be the best person at picking colors or, um, or the best person at figuring out what materials to use. But if I have a really good uh, comprehension of the overall goal and enough of an awareness of all the steps that I can plan the uh, the product evolution. I can pull in experts where they need to be. And um, so yeah, and that way it can be cross-discipline for sure. So what's an example of that? Because I know a lot of people want to get into products. They have an idea, but they kind of get stuck because they're not designers. They don't know how to actually make a product. Is there like a kind of framework you approach to your products or kind of any tips or anyone? It's a super simple way to explain it, I guess would be, um, and this is pretty high level, but it would be taking your concept, making a model 
you know, that's the first thing. If it's a physical product, get your hands on some cardboard and duct tape and try and prove your concept and make something that kind of works. We call them a buck, which I think is from old sculpture terms, you know, get some wood and screws and just make something. And then go back to your sketches, look at uh, if it's fulfilling the goals and the ideas you had for function and form, and then go back to the model and just keep going back and forth a bunch of times. That's like the first stage. The first stage is get it out of your head and into the real world, I guess would be the first thing I'd say. I see. Yeah, because one thing I did was that I'm not a designer, so I look f- to others for inspiration, I guess. Like I look at other products on like Pinterest or stuff like that, and then kind of I see what I like on different elements, and then I piece them together. Absolutely, part of the process, you know, is you got to have a great awareness of what's already out there. Because frankly, if if the thing that you're thinking of is already there, then why bother do it? You know, you got to know what's going on and how to make it better and how to make it your own. Yeah, exactly. And so let's talk about your products a little bit because I noticed your products have a very kind of modern style to it. Like, how did you come up with this feel in terms of like like the stand and like the curves of all the products? I love the mid-century modern feel of uh, furniture and architecture, which I don't know, it's my own personal interest, but it's uh, just super simple, clean. You know, they, they say the hardest thing to design is the simplest thing. Once you remove all of the extra parts, you're left with the purest design. So that's kind of what I always try and work towards. Definitely would not say that I'm ever there, thankfully, because then I'd have nothing else to work towards. But uh, the biggest influence for me is that era, as uh, is, is kind of mid-century looks and feel. Yeah, because I'm looking at your products, it seems like they're all like under five pieces or maybe even three, right? Yeah, the line has changed up and down, but at the moment we're at about three unique pieces. All right, and so how did you wrap this up initially? Because I'm sure you got your own samples made. Did you get them made in the U.S. first, or how did that work out? No, you know, I was really lucky. When I was first launching, I met with an agent from Taiwan um, who was uh, had been working with a good friend of mine for about 15 years. So this guy was just fantastic to work with. He was really helpful and willing to work with small startups. And because we had a friend in common, I think he took pretty good care of me. So I made some early some early models just to kind of prove it out. And, uh, and then I sent him drawings and photos of whatever models I had. And he was able to uh, make it happen. And so what does an agent like this specialize in? This guy, his biggest specialty is footwear, actually. So one reason he was really uh, good to partner up with in the early stages was because my original products, most of them were made out of molded EVA foam. And that is um, a major material in footbed and outsole of shoes. So he had already had experience with the materials and contacts. So it worked out really well. It wasn't like I was going to a car manufacturer and saying, hey, I've got to make shoes. It was me going to somebody who says, somebody that's already has experience in the materials and the manufacturing. I see. So these are agents that know factories and they go out and find business and be the middleman, right? You know, it's it's always a little misty to me to figure out the whole agent situation. I mean, even when you dig around on Alibaba and you see the actual factories, you never quite know exactly what's going on. But this particular guy, um, he, he actually owns a couple factories of his own and is, yeah, essentially in, in between with other factories and customers. Gotcha. And so how does he get paid then? When, on the POs or? Yeah, you know, it, it varies for customer for sure. It, our arrangement is I just pay him directly for the products and he arranges uh, his cut through probably up marking up all the other elements and all the factories that he pulls together for me. It actually works out great for me because Hepper is not a very big company, so I don't have the manpower to manage 
a number of different factories and material sourcing and all that. So uh, I really enjoy working with him. We've, we've been working together for six years now and totally trust him. I don't have to explain what quality means. And um, I'm, I'm really happy sticking with him. You know, I mean, it's not cheap. For sure. But again, at the stage of the, where I'm at, it's really worth it. And so just to give an idea, how much markup do you think he's putting on your products? Is it like 5%, 10% or? I'm guessing it's 10 to 15%. Uh-huh. I see. But the hassle it saves you would be it's amazing. worth a lot more than that. Way more. So in contrast, uh, two years ago, I started sourcing some products here in Massachusetts in the U.S. and went through the process of finding local factories, uh, giving them designs, getting protos, doing short runs, sourcing all the materials, all the packaging. I actually, since it was a pretty short run on them, I did all of the assembly and the kitting of the products. And it was really painfully clear to me how much work goes into getting a finished product in your hands. So it was super detailed and super time consuming and not at all worth it. Yeah, so does he take care of all the import stuff since you're getting them made in Taiwan? Or? Um, nope, they're really good at um, getting the stuff in the container and getting it on the water. And then I work with um, another company for freight forwarding, and they have a partner literally right down the hall in their office building in Boston that deals with all the import and duty stuff. Gotcha. And so how did you go from idea to like your first crate? Because I'm sure your first sample is probably just like one or two items. You know, actually, let's see, my first run, I think was about 250 units. And that was at the time felt like an enormous deal. It felt like, what am I going to do if I can't sell these 250 units, you know? But it was a risk, you know? I mean, it was definitely a risk. I kind of had a good idea. And I, to be totally honest, I wasn't thinking like a great businessman. I was just thinking like a, a designer and saying, you know what, these are going to be great. I'll sell them one way or another. And luckily I did. I see. And you didn't do any market testing beforehand? Um, I went to three different pet trade shows to dig around and see what was out there. Um, one of them I worked at with a friend of mine that had a brand at the time and got the vibe from him and a couple other friends of his that had small companies and I got a lot of good feedback from companies. Um, in terms of actual consumer testing, no. I had a, a lot of confidence just after seeing what was currently available at the pet shows and seeing how poor most of the designs were. In terms of any quantifiable testing, uh, no, I was just kind of winging it, to be honest. When you got those 250 units, uh, what was it like to move those and get those sale? Get those sold? Did it, did it sell out within like a month or what was the time frame like? Oh gosh, let's see, that was six years ago. So I think it was a couple months. I'm trying to remember back. It might have been six months and that was 650 units per style. And when I launched, I had five different styles. So I had a big chunk of inventory at the first launch. How big of an investment was that? Uh, it was uh, it was the biggest investment I've ever made. It was the uh, down payment for a condo that I was saving for. <laughs> no, it wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. I think I had my first first investment was under 20 grand. Still a big big chunk of change, though. That was an enormous chunk. Enormous for me, yes. And so how did you sell the first, first uh, 250 units? Was it just online? So it was actually a combination. So when I launched, I was lucky enough to um, probably just the week before with this fantastic woman, Kate Benjamin, that runs moderncat.net, which is now housepanther.com. But... Uh, 
she was just starting up a modern cat design blog and helped me launch the company. And at the time, she was really the top and actually still is in that category in blogs and drove traffic to me from almost day one. So I was selling direct. And then a couple months after that, I did uh, my first trade show and started selling to boutiques at a wholesale. And, uh, and from there, just stuff started uh, snowpiling. Yeah, so Modern Cat, I understand, is one of like the biggest cat blogs, right? Yeah. And so what makes her blog special out of all the other ones? She has endless content. She's always, always posting. She has a super genuine passion for cats, for shelters, for saving cats, for any kind of charities. And it really shows through. So I think her honesty and her passion for everything she writes about it really, really leads to her success. Also, I think was timing. You know, that was 2007. Cats are certainly popular all over the internet, but they were really starting to build back then. And Cats Plus Design, you know, we've got a bunch of online tech nerds like the rest of all of us, and they've all got cats. So it's just a great combination. Yeah. And I understand she started the blog around the same time you guys did, right? Because I heard from uh, friends Dan and Ian over at Travel Game Bay that kind of they knew about modern cat when they started. But, you know, instead of starting a cat treasure, they probably should have started a cat blog, right? You know, I, I love product design. It's my it's in my blood. But Having a digital company like hers is pretty amazing. Yep, I, uh, I, I really, uh, same as those guys, I wish that I, I had gone that route sometimes. <laughs> and I see one of your products is on the front page, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, she, um, she has a tattoo on her leg of some of her favorite products, so one of the heparpods is tattooed on her leg, <laughs> which I am so honored and amazed by, but yeah. Wow, T- talk about passion there, huh? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when she was starting out, did you reach out to her or how did their relationship start? I, I reached out to her. Got you. And over the years, have you guys kept in touch and how did like, well, how do you, I guess, how do you add value enough to a blogger that you're not just pitching them with new products? We've become friends. So we stay in touch about a lot of stuff, business and life. The value add is that um, I started as just buying advertising from her and now we have an affiliate partnership. So we're tied in on the business side as well. When you got your first 250 units, how long did it take to manufacture? So the first run was a little bit slow because we went through a couple of rounds. And this was the first time I'd actually produced stuff on my own. I'd, I'd worked corporate for a long time, had you know their existing factories and their systems in place. But I'm pretty picky and I wanted things to be absolutely perfect. So running through a lot of different rounds of protos took extra time. Um, but normally now the process from PO to delivery is about 90 days. Okay. Still kind of a long, somewhat long lead time. Right? It's like three months we're looking at. Yeah, it is. It is. I think it can be shortened with particular types of products. And, and frankly, I think if I was on the ground there, it might be able to be shortened a little bit as well. The first products, did you sample test them after you got them made before you went on the first? Yeah. Yeah. So I had um, pre-production samples. Um, I brought them home from my office. I had, there was three cats at the time. I laid them out in the living room and each cat came in the living room and jumped into each bed. And I, I high-fived my girlfriend. I was like, all right, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> the testers have spoken, so we're good. And so kind of with payment terms in Asia, 
I understand at least the ones in China you have to pay before, right? And after six years, you know, are they allowing you to buy product first and then pay later, or do you just go with the deposit, or how do you work that out now? At the moment, I go uh, deposit and then payment after shipment. I haven't pushed for terms yet. I'm just kind of, it's been a funny balance. You know, it's a, it's a relatively small company. I have not wanted to push my agent too much on things that may not be super favorable to him because frankly, without him, I would have a much harder time. As my orders are growing now though, and if he ever hears this, <laughs> he should be expecting my uh, request for some longer lead on payments. <laughs> it's because when you're a small percentage of their business, you don't really have much leverage. You really don't. You don't. There's no reason for them to do anything special. And this is not only, you know, a, a good reputable agent like this guy, you know, any factory or even, you know, if I was freelancing still, I wouldn't want to take a small job and do anything special on it. I'd want to work with somebody that uh, had been doing business for a long time and then I could be more flexible. So yeah. Yeah, it's like the worst case is if he says, uh, no, <laughs> of course not. And then we don't want to work with you. That'd be, that'd be terrible. Right. Awesome. All right. Very cool. And so how many SKUs do you have now in the store? So currently, um, the, the, the lineup shifts around a lot, but at the moment we have the Hepper pod beds. There's a Hilo scratcher and the Nom Nom dishes. Um, so three main products, and a variety of colors in all of those. Mm -hmm. And so when you balance like the sales momentum and the POs, do you have to do, do you do like a forecasting or do you just kind of do it by the whim? Uh, you know, it's again, I do a little bit of a by the whim because the size of my orders are pretty big. Um, just the, the MLQ for the factories. I'm not really burning through inventory like every three months. Um, although things are picking up quite a bit at the moment, so I may be starting to order quarterly, but it hasn't been got it hasn't gotten granular enough to really plan like okay in 22 days I have to reorder. It hasn't gotten to that stage yet, although expected to within the next one to two years. I see, and especially with holidays coming up too, it kind of makes the game a little more trickier too. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, in terms of inventory levels, the biggest challenge always is to just been to be sure that I've got enough goods in stock. I see. So are you always erring on the safe side in terms of having more inventory in the warehouse or? Absolutely. I see. And how, how much are you holding on to? So the last order lasted me a year. She's going to make any of you number crunchers out there cringe to hear, I'm sure. Yeah, because a year's worth, wow. Are we <laughs> so, so, okay, so here's the good side of it, right? So I'm designing and developing on my own and selling direct, so my margins are insane. It's gonna hurt me a couple margin points in my overall profitability, but it's doable. And that's why I haven't stressed it too much yet. In just a ballpark uh, range, uh, kind of what margins are we looking at here? Um, ballpark is about 70% profit on each product. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> is this pretty industry standard or? Um, I came out of the sporting goods industry when it was pretty standard to, let's see, to mark up four times, so 75% in that stand in that industry. That's like the, the healthy side of the margins that what haven't accounted for in that is the cost of shipping, packaging, fulfillment, and everything else. Um, so, you know, if any Hepper customers are listening, I'm not ripping you off, trust me. It's the reality of business and this is how we all work. And, uh, and trust me, I'm not getting rich yet. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we talked about when we met earlier in Bangkok. You were saying how kind of when people are getting into this game, you need to make sure you have a product that's at least four times yeah. gross. 
one of the also one of the big things to think about is if you're going to be working with distributors, they're going to want 20% off wholesale minimum. Or even if working with big box stores like PetSmart and Petco, they want probably even more than that. So you really have to price things accordingly. Yeah, because I think I've heard the industry standard kind of across every uh, niche is like 50%, kind of like the wholesale, right? So if you're making something like that, you know, only two times, you're basically going to get killed yeah. by doing that. Unless you're in jewelry, I think jewelry is like two and a half or more per times, but yeah. All right, very cool, very cool. And so are you using wholesale too for Hepper? I'm not at the moment. I started out with wholesale and I did a couple shows and I realized really quickly that since I'm totally bootstrapped and self-funded, that my dollars going into trade shows really didn't make sense at the early stages. So I pulled back from that and just went direct. Um, and uh, I do have, I guess, technically wholesale in a sense um, with my international distributors since they're supplying other boutiques at wholesale rates. In the States, I'm not currently doing wholesale. So let's go back into uh, Hepper a little bit. So. As you were growing the store, uh, were you just mostly using bloggers to grow traffic or were you doing some other channels too? Um, yeah, it, you know, I experienced a really fantastic spread, a kind of viral spread of the brand right off the bat, which I really attribute a large part to Kate from House Panther. That's her new website. Um, and, you know, that's the first real experience for being online for me in, let's see, 07. And it was unbelievable to watch the, how. Uh, one post could link to another to another and it was like so fresh and new to me and I was like wow this is incredible that that's how the word spread and and that was absolutely it at the early stages it just was blog to blog yeah interesting and were you aware of our friends uh, Dan and Ian at that time uh, not right off the bat but um, I was aware of them pretty shortly thereafter yeah I kind of keep an eye on of all the all the other cool pet stuff going on out there. And so how many other shops would you say are online kind of doing what you're doing, like selling cat furniture with a more modern flair to it? You know, every day, more stuff is popping up. Um, the ones that I'm aware of, maybe like 10 to 15, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but uh, you know, it's hard to say how big they are. It's, as we all know, it's very easy to throw up a, a super slick Shopify store. And uh, it's another story to actually produce products on time and at quality and get them to your customers. So we'll see what happens. And so right now, uh, besides blogs, uh, are you doing any other marketing channels that's working really well? The, I'm working on a lot of stuff, actually. That's my current focus um, beyond the new product development. But yeah, SEO for sure. PPC is coming. Blog in terms of keyword and SEO stuff, yes. But also in terms of kind of brand building and authority building, you know, take a page out of Kate's playbook and try and, and match some of the, the awesome traffic that she gets. So how, how would you mean authority building for like cat furniture? Like how to take care of your cats or like how to make cat food? Or like <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, maybe not being an expert in those areas, but being a go-to person for information. So building out the sense of authority of like, I know what I'm talking about for cats, furnishings, home, everything that relates to having a life with a cat in your house. I see. So like if your cat is scratching up your shoes or the couch, like what can you do about it? Stuff like that, right? Sure. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. And so are you doing any email campaigns that are working really well or is it just mostly kind of something you're figuring out as you go along? I do email campaigns and they do work pretty well and I think there's a ton of optimization that can happen. So I currently do 
a monthly giveaway and that's how I do my lead generation and build the list. And that's worked out really well. Uh, people love free stuff. Um, sometimes the people looking for free stuff are not the perfect customer at the end of the day, but I'd like to entertain the thought that they like my brand and that they could be a customer at some point. So you're going off the fact that at some point they'll get a free item, they'll tell their friends and then it'll spread there over time. Yeah, or at least that they like my brand enough to sign up to win something even if they never win. I'm going to keep hitting them with emails every month and through an autoresponder series and all that and eventually they may say, hey, you know, I can't wait to win anymore. I just want to, I want one of these so bad, I'm going to buy it. I see, I see. And so how many, what would be like the opt-in rate to this giveaway? Kind of, because I know you have it on, I think, every product page. Like I've been hit for it a couple of times. Like, you know, enter here for a free give up monthly giveaway. And I think I should look up my numbers for you. Um, so the, the most recent contests I've been running are on Facebook through this great platform called Sweet Steak. Dot .es, so sweet stakes. So I think it's around 30% opt-in. Um, it's, it's worked out really well. And you know, it's been really fun because people like to win stuff and just like to get involved. So it's good. Yeah, so this is done through the Facebook platform, not on your online store? At the moment, yeah. I've jumped around and tried a couple different models. I tried the um, contest domination uh, platform, which worked out really well as also. Sweet stakes is a little slicker looking and um, I think they're going different places than the other one. So these guys are great because they put together a really slick looking entry. They're managing a lot of backend tracking. They've actually got a connection through Shopify so they can see kind of what responses there's been and sales and they jumped, I had a, a quite a good chunk, jump of sales directly related to this contest last month. Have you found that people that even if they don't win, they'll buy something anyways? Maybe they just wanted to try to win? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as all of us are online consumers, people respond really well to discounts and deals and promotions. Huh. And for you, just to give one product away, it's actually not that bad because you're only looking at, what, 12 products a year, maybe an extra one during the holidays if you choose to. It's really not that bad at all. It's well worth it. It's way cheaper than buying advertising space somewhere for sure. Yeah, especially when you're manufacturing yourself too, it's, it's not even that much. Yeah. So here we had, here's a little data. Last October giveaway, uh, 1,100 visitors, 300 entrants, 28% conversion. Oh, nice. And that's, those are email lists you can always hit up again Yes. Uh, as you go along. Exactly. And so one thing we talked about earlier was that how uh, kind of like the conversion stuff uh, is marking a little bit new to you, right? So how are you figuring out what's working and what's not and which places to focus your efforts in. So yeah, you had, you had asked me about uh, on-site conversion and it is new to me and I'm what I wanted to do is uh, get all the basic things that I was aware of into place and then start refining them. So the things that I know that need to work are people want to know about shipping. So I added shipping information to the product pages. So that helps with conversion. The site is actually going through a redesign at the moment for a much clearer path from product information to purchasing page. So the call to action will be much easier and uh, the clicks will be reduced dramatically, hopefully. Removing the barrier to purchasing. So maybe not site design so much, but as uh, adding free shipping options or having uh, 
super easy return policy or whatever the big things that are keeping people from actually purchasing. Yeah, kind of these things you figure out as you talk to more customers that have bought too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was talking to Will Evans. I don't know if you met him at Bangkok too. He runs mm-hmm. Chiefs for Men's. And he was talking about oh, yeah. how you and his 404 page routes people back to products and like a shipping page routes people back to like learn more. And it's pretty interesting how he has it all set up, the whole funnel. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Will in two days about this. I'm super psyched to get him get him involved in this. All right, very cool. And so just to wrap things up a little bit, you know, as you know, you've been in this business six or seven years, uh, kind of what's your biggest challenge to keep growing this uh, business? The biggest challenge I have found is time and money, of course. So in terms of my skills, and the amount of time I spend on things that are not directly related to my experience and skills, that's been a huge challenge. So what did Dan and Ian say? It's like you work to run the business instead of, I forget what their their line is, but I've been working at the business, not on the business. And making time to do higher level projects to grow the business has been the hardest part when you know, the, the priority every day is being sure that customers are treated really well and that products are getting into the into their hands. Mm-hmm. So when there's something new you need to learn, are you just kind of bootstrapping yourself? You're not hiring like a VA or anything like that? Or? Absolutely. I have done every single stage of this company from packing boxes to emails to everything you could imagine. And it's really just at this stage now that I'm finally getting ready to start outsource. So that, I understand it's like a big mental hurdle you need to get past here. It's actually not anything like tangible like you need to be able to be comfortable letting go of these things for someone else to do right 100 percent. that's my problem yep it's it is it's really hard to give up any little step of your baby every little bit that i do i forget about it instantly and i'm just so happy that someone else is dealing with it awesome man. and would you say this is your biggest challenge right now too my challenge now is finding good people to do it uh, i'm getting ready to give up control for sure not control, but you know, I don't have to be the one actually touching everything in the business. I'd rather be coming up with great new products and keeping cats happy and homes looking great everywhere and let somebody else that's an expert at customer service or an expert at accounting do their job. I think I think you have like only a couple of SKUs and you could, certainly could expand your line some more. Right? You just don't have the capacity to do it. That's well, we're working on stuff now, but that yeah, that's the goal is I definitely need to build out the brand. Yeah, awesome. All right, well. Thank you so much. I think let's just wrap things up a little bit. So listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in. And Jed, thanks for joining us today. You guys can find out more about uh, Jed's awesome cat furniture at hepper.com. That's H-E-P-P-E-R.com. And so Jed, uh, any last words? No, I'm just, uh, I'm so psyched to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, Jed, thanks for coming out again and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.